We are back with another episode of Meet the CEO. In this episode, we bring you Natif Anthony, founder of Guardian Health. In this two-part conversation, he discusses various issues from the humble beginnings of Guardian Health to the importance of philanthropy and the heavy mental load that entrepreneurs carry. From over 975 cities and 125 countries, KI Africa brings you the Good Morning Africa podcast. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse and everything business in Africa. I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial, and you can find me at Ritha Dong. Who is Natif Anthony? I really get asked that question. I would say I'm a moving contradiction. I usually try to let other people answer that question for me because I find find that whatever a lot of people say about me is true. One will say, oh, he's a fantastic person, he's generous, he's outgoing, he's happy, he likes to see people succeed. Then another guy will say, man, that's the meanest math I've ever seen on the face of the earth. Both takes are actually true. (laughs) So I... (laughs) Like any person, you try to do more good than bad and hope that uh, you can live with yourself when you go back home. So I, I consider myself any other, like any other flawed human with uh, uh, an aspiration to kind of do good, both by myself and by the people in my life. We were raised by our grandmother. She raised more than 25 of us. Died at 100 Never used a walking stick in her life. Saddest day of my life. But she introduced the value of, of work uh, and hustle and was my first banker and enabler of all bad habits. Uh, <laughs> I miss her. I see a bit of her in my daughter, uh, but she she was special. So it's, it's hard for me to talk about my life without talking about my grandmother. Uh, I, I, I try to personalize it, go, go like my grandmother, but all my siblings will do the same. So my grandmother, not our grandmother. We all wanted to own her, uh, to believe she was just ours. And that tells you about the kind of love she gave. She, someone gives you love and makes you feel like you're the only one in their life. Uh, they are special. One of the communities where your name gets mentioned a lot is the Namiliango community. Talk to us about that and why it's important to pay it forward. Uh, yeah, uh, Namiango College is... Uh, I get emotional when I'm talking about Namiango College. It's, uh, it's a brotherhood. Uh, we usually... Uh, and I don't see this in other traditional schools. I may not be looking hard enough. Yeah, so... Um, in that school is where you learn that there's family outside family. Those guys come through for each other. If you find a kid who went to Namiango 20 years after he left, and they introduce themselves as a Namiango Obi, better be sure I'm going to listen. Like, nothing else will matter. I will not ask what they've done with their lives. If they have a problem, I'll come through if I can. And these guys will also do the same for me. Like when the chips were down with Guardian and uh, things like that, they're the guys who would loan me money interest-free. They're the guys who would buy things they didn't need just to support the hustle. So, yeah, our success is also their success. Uh, They take pride in that. And it's only fair that we pay it forward. So uh, maybe like 
10 years ago we started uh, when I started making some money so I started picking the fees tab for like at least five students every time as the Lord provided and there's lots of these kids some are civil engineers some are doctors some are architects that find me and they're like you know what thank you and that makes me happy it feels like it's one of my proudest moments to 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 to, to see that a school that uh, did a lot to to get me to 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 where i am uh, is continuing to churn out talent and i am doing a small part of making sure that conveyor belt that talent conveyor belt keeps running so i take extreme pride in that and uh, hopefully uh, uh, this continues as the finances allow and that other people chip in as well and the community has shown a willingness to do this we started uh, an endowment fund in honor of Dr. Chibuka uh, and we hope that it will grow into billions of shillings we, we i pledged uh, 500 million shillings to that, thank God. And I hope that over the next 10 years, I'll be able to pay that. And if finances allow, maybe up the ante a little bit. Uh, yeah, so like I told you initially, uh, that theme of paying it forward runs through my veins. Um, it's important. Talk to us about the journey that came before you opened the doors to Guardian Health. In my second year, you know, Dr. Guang of uh, the famous Covidex, he's a pharmacist. So I worked with Guang, we built up his business, and then I, um, I moved to Vine in my third year. So the guy of Vine, Grace, is the one who taught me community pharmacy. He started this whole thing of having chain pharmacies. So I wanted to be like him. But I also wanted to be a professor because I was this brainy kid who I didn't know how to do both. But I, I, if I was going to fail at it, it wasn't going to be due to lack of effort. So I asked him if he could allow me to work with him. And he said, yeah, he put me in Kamocha. And he would sit down with me and have conversations. He took a liking to me. I'd pick his brain and he taught me a lot of things about business about retail pharmacy about importation of drugs and i owned my first pharmacy under him as probably my third year when i bought my first pharmacy and then the next one was in tinder then we bought another pharmacy here in kabalagala opposite the former deposh then later you know i finished school went and worked with the Ghana cancer institute interestingly i went to study pharmacy to be rich but then my first job was a pro bono job but I could afford because uh, through the pharmacies I owned under Vine, I had a decent pay. So I joined Uganda Cancer Institute uh, the time when they were becoming independent. I set up their first cancer pharmacy. The time I started working with them, they, their medicine budget was maybe 50 million shillings a year. <laughs> the time I left, it was um, nearly $2 million. And yeah, it was one of the most productive times of my life in terms of feeling like I was contributing to humanity. And so the Institute, um, especially Dr. Jackson O'Rem, connected me to guys at the University of Washington and the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center. 
and these guys took me to school, got me to specialize in HIV-related malignancies treatment, took me to the University of Washington. I studied public health. Did, uh, I went to the best global health program in the world, thanks to my taking a chance at the Ghana Cancer Institute to volunteer. Uh, at school, I learned how to think. I picked up a lot of my very progressive views about life. Of course, some of them were informed by my grandmother, believe it or not, the live and let live kind of approach to life, but they were largely more emphasized in Seattle. Lived there quite a bit, then got back, started Guardian Health. But before that, Grace offered to buy me out of my interests in these pharmacies, paid me around $50,000. We agreed to a bigger price, but initially paid me that. And that's what I started Guardian with in 2012. And the rest, as they say, is history. Guardian Health went from opening two branches to a very rapid expansion. Why was this and what impact did this have on the business? We opened our doors in 2013, uh, March. I was still studying at the University of Washington. And the Muyenga community, we started in Kavalagala, Muyenga Road. This community embraced us, explains why I live in Muyenga. I love Muyenga. We revolutionized the way pharmaceutical care was delivered. We were the first to do deliveries of medicine. Then we started expanding using largely, we did, we used organically generated cash. It was organic growth. The only loan I ever took was from KCB, 70 million shillings, struggled to pay it. Uh, I ultimately paid it. Uh, I swore off loans, banks won't give me money because I was blowing cash so fast in expansion. I didn't know our bottom line. I just knew that, you know, we're making money because I was seeing money going into the bank. I was the board of directors. I was the managing director. I was the chief strategist, you know, the works. So around 2015, some friends of mine who were in National Drug Authority, you know, told me, you know, uh, we're going to stop licensing pharmacies in the major parts of Uganda, the major towns. So if you want, you might as well just open these stores now so that by the time this thing comes through, you're good to go. So we went on an expansion drive, uh, essentially getting territory, uh, planting a flag everywhere. That's why when you look at the Guardian footprint in all the major towns in Kampala, we have a Guardian. Yeah. The plan was to make sure we can deliver a product within 15 minutes of a person calling. So if you're in Nigeria, we will set up in Tinder so that in 15 minutes we can reach you. But as, as Kampala has grown, we have had to then get deep. We had to get deeper into those communities. That's why you had us open, say, in Nalia at Metroplex Mall. And now we're going to Kira. A lot of these places, because as the community grows, you know, you have to expand your, your footprint. Uh, we were the first to go national in Jinja, Bali, Gulu, Barara. Those places have embraced us. I still say us because while I've exited the company, I still hold it dear. And, and so we ran out of money. Uh, because of that expansion drive, we ran out of money and, you know, moved from turning over billions of shillings to barely paying rent and paying staff. And this is where it's important that you establish some sort of good relationship with your employees. 
I barely called them employees, really. They, they were like partners uh, who would share in the profits, share in the losses occasionally, but, you know, actually the upside would share in the upside, I would share in the downside. So when we hit hard times, a lot of them stayed with us. We went looking around for financing. Banks couldn't give us money. I remember a time when I thought I'd secured 500 million shillings from DFCU. They told me on Friday that, you know what, yeah, your loan has been approved. And then on Monday, I get a call and get told, ah, the head of credit called it back. But, you know, we soldiered on my stuff, hung on tight. And then we managed to raise private equity financing. We raised $3 million, and it was a miracle. I, I don't even know why my partners invested, but now looking back, they're glad they invested. They got a decent return. Entrepreneurship for many is a very lonely journey. How do you handle the heavy mental load that comes with it? I tell people uh, building a company, at least in our land, is one of the most emotionally debilitating experiences you can ever go through. But also, you can't allow yourself to publicly go through that because you have behind you like hundreds of people whose livelihood depends on you. So showing weakness is 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 going to kill your dream and not just your dream many other people's dreams so you'll pay a salary and go back home and look around for an empty tin of coffee and you know put some warm water in there so that you can get the smell of coffee but then your employee is going home saying you know i have the most amazing boss uh, he's going to pay his fees, he's going to pay his uh, rent, he's going to come back home or to work super happy, he's going to be respected in his house or her house. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sorry for swearing, it's a mindfuck. It's, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, 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 it's genuinely rough uh, when, when, I think we need to have a hug on Entrepreneur Day, a Ugandan Entrepreneur Day, <laughs> at least once within a year, uh, or listen to them. Entrepreneurs need some sort of space where they can talk to their peers who will understand this and not judge them and not feel like, you know, they're undressing themselves be, before a crowd that won't understand. On one hand, they live with praise singers who say, well, you, you're amazing, you're what? I would read stories about me. Oh, Natif is building this impressive stuff. And, you know, he's reaching millions of people with medicine. And I couldn't sleep because of anxiety. Like any day you wake up, you're like, this thing could fall. This thing could fall. Someone likened it to riding a lion. You're on top of the lion. Everyone is cheering you on, man. He's so brave. And in your head, you're like, what the F am I doing on top of this thing? But somehow, if you're lucky and smart about it and accept help, accept to have partners on board, there's a chance that you'll hack it. You share the stress. You share the credit. Oftentimes, people just don't want to... They think that they should own this company themselves. Yes, it's brilliant. It's your idea. But it will be a dead idea, not because it's a terrible idea, but because, you know, you don't have financing, you don't have a corporate governance structure in place, you don't know how to run it. I will tell you, I'm, I was not the best person at running Guardian. As the best person at strategy, as the best person at building partnerships, 
But I quickly recognize that I'm not so disciplined as to pay so much attention to the nitty-gritties that come with running a business, especially a retail business. So that realization then allowed me to hire people like Cedric, people like Agnes, people like Veronica, people like Barbara, you know, young kids who just have so much energy and drive and people like Linda and drive and, you know, can pay attention to detail. They knew to jubis to clear the way for them and get out of it, reduce your stress. That was Natif Anthony, founder of Guardian Health. Join us next week for part two of this conversation. And a quick look at the markets. The market segment is powered by the Development Bank of Rwanda. We empower you. Cocoa futures in the U.S. continued their upward trajectory, surpassing $3,400 U.S. dollars mark for the first time since March 2011, as investors anticipate a supply deficit following two consecutive years of shortages that resulted in a global stocks-to-use ratio of 32.2%, the lowest since 1984-1985 season. Drier than normal weather in the coming months due to the developing El Nino pattern can disrupt the next crop in West Africa and farmers in Côte d'Ivoire, Ghana and Nigeria reported signs of blackboard disease which may affect bean quality and output. The International Cocoa Organization says that heavy rains in top cocoa grower ivory costs may lower cocoa production in the later part of 2022-2023 mid crop and could easily negatively impact the main crop for 2023-2024 season. And a quick trip around Africa, oil production in Nigeria increased somewhat last month, with output rising by 5.1% month-on-month on on an average of 1.24 million barrels per day in June. Production plummeted in April after an ExxonMobil labor strike reduced Nigeria's oil output, with persistent theft and operational concerns exacerbating the issue and stifling production. Near-term gains are limited by the hydrocarbon sector's sustainable production capacity and troublesome operating environment, and it might take years for oil output to return to pre-pandemic levels. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K-Financial. If you have any suggestions or just want to check out more stories, visit the website, that is thekfinancial.com, and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K-Financial, and you can find me at Withadong. Withadong.